welcome to Pop Tarts. Me, 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 me. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, we have a very special returning guest. She was one of our very, very first celebrity guests that we ever had on the show. And now a year later, she's back. The lovely, the incandescent, the brainy, the revolutionary, Liz Winstead is here. Yes. Yay. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here in your honeycomb hideaway. <laughs> it's really fun. When my boyfriend was on Ambien, he put popsicles in my purse. Since when is it negative to have a perfect smoky eye? Smokra, yeah. Jingle jangle makes you racist. Ibiza. You know what's not the spirit of the event? That fucking president. The overarching theme I've decided on for today's talk is comedians versus Trump. Long ago, we had a general sort of celebrities versus Trump episode, and now we're going to narrow that down to comedians versus Trump because we have a comedy legend among us to ask about it. Um, In the last year and a half, there's been an all-out culture war raging between our dingbat president and (laughs) socially conscious comedians who are using humor to point out the absurdity of what's happening in Washington and to remind us that what's happening in our government is not normal. It should not be ignored. Um, Liz... Winstead, as I'm sure many of you already know, is a comedian and an activist and an author who co-created The Daily Show and Air America Radio, and most recently, The Lady Parts Justice League, which is a cabal of comics who use (laughs) pop culture and digital media to sound the alarm about the erosion of reproductive rights. And um, last year, Liz, you came to talk about something very exciting, the Vagical Mystery Tour. And now you're back again to talk about Vagical Mystery Tour 2018. That's right. So much happening. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us every single thing about the Vagical Mystery Tour, what it is and what you have in store and when it is. Oh, so it's pretty cool. It, You know, long before Trump was um, basically created the swamp, Um, (laughs) reproductive rights were not doing great. Right. And so like back in 2011, uh, I decided to form an organization with a bunch of creative types, writers, musicians, comics, editors, you name it. Um, And we started making videos that were talking about all these horrible laws that we keep hearing about. And I thought that we were going to create some kind of like feminist funny or die. Right. I thought that that's what we were going to be. So... It turns out when you make videos, that's kind of just the jumping off point. That's kind of like the information and how then do you have a call to action for other people? Right. Because that's always been my biggest thing. It was like I did The Daily Show on Air America and I would do all these projects and I would and people would say, oh, my God, thank you for letting me know that this is going on. What can I do? And my answer was always like, I don't know. (laughs) The comedian who told you that and got you all riled up like some kind of anger fluffer. (laughs) Now, I don't know. And after a while, it was untenable. That just became untenable to me because people are too engaged and too smart and too excited to make change that I knew if I learned about what people could do, I could create ways for them to do that. So 
I formed this organization called Lady Parts Justice League, um, which is not just for ladies. It's for all people on a gender binary, super queer, anybody who needs it. We are there um, to fight for the rights of, of reproductive care for all people who need it, which is basically all people. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to actually need some kind of reproductive care. So we do these videos that expose the laws. And then we decided we wanted to hit the road and really help out the clinics who are in really hard hit areas, especially independent abortion providers, because they provide like almost 70% of all the abortions in our country. And we wanted to help grow the activist bases in these like super intense places that need folks to come out. So what we do is every summer we head out on the road and we do a comedy and music show in somewhere between eight and 16 towns we do a show, and then right after the show, we bring on stage the act, some activists from that town and the local um, person who runs the clinic, and they talk about the state of reproductive health care in their state, and then they talk about what they need as the clinic, what they need for moral support, how people can help them get self-care, um, how to create little acts of kindness so the workers un- are understood that like people are excited in their community and want to help. And then the activists talk about what they need to help stop laws, change laws. And then after that, we have tables set up and then people sign up at the tables and then talk more and then really get a feel for what that is. And then we also go to the clinics and we do some kind of works project on each clinic. And that can be uh, redoing their garden. That can be... Um, we literally did a DIY on the reception area of a clinic in Aww. Southern Illinois. We'll rake their lawn. We'll plant bushes. We'll, we bring them always lunch and, um, or take them out for happy hour, do some kind of really nice, kind thing. One clinic said, what we would love is we are sometimes so busy that we don't have time to just stop and plan an outing to celebrate each other. So if Aww. you could help us do that. So we said, how would you like to do that? And so they said, can you bring a hot tub toward the parking lot of our clinic? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so we brought a hot tub to the clinic, and then we rented a trough that we had beer and wine, and then we... I like that they were so creative and, so and great. aimed high. <laughs> aimed high. Um, and then we, um, we, got, we went to Sephora and got those dollar-sized, like, lotions and stuff and then we did like back massage and gave them the masks and everything and so it was just like and they were like this is so great that they now do some kind of outing they make a point now to do that for themselves this year we're doing eight cities and we're spending longer time in each city so that we can really get to know people create some community at the front of that week and then at the end of the week revisit the people who signed up so that we really know that this bond is happening. That's awesome. And then getting people registered to vote. So it feels pretty cool. Yeah. And are the ticket sales for the comedy shows going to fund the public, the works projects and the... Yep. The ticket sales go to literally just covering like the meals that we get for the, for the, um, for the workers and for the garden supplies that we have. Um, flying in some folks who come in who are really excited. So it's basically a cash-in, cash-out situation. Nobody's making any money. We're just trying to sustain it so that we can stay out on the road. And it's so awesome that you're working primarily with these independent clinics. Like Planned Parenthood does an amazing job, and like we all really respect and love what they do. When I think about 
um, women's health being imperiled. And whenever I think like, oh, I want to do something about that, I think of donating to Planned Parenthood. Like I have like my Amazon smile account, like donates to Planned Parenthood every time I buy something dumb from Amazon. But like you don't like Planned Parenthood has become so synonymous with women's reproductive health that you forget about all of these other places that aren't Planned Parenthood that don't have the name recognition that are so much more grassroots. Yeah. And it's important to, you know, look at the landscape in the community of what of the reproductive care. Right. So it's, I always say Planned Parenthood sort of like Trader Joe's and the independent clinics are like your local co-op and they're both really, really important. And so in the towns that we're going to, um, like Allen, we're going to Allentown, Pennsylvania, because there is a giant abortion desert in Pennsylvania and Allentown facilitates and it's an independent provider called the Allentown Women's Center. And not only do they do abortion care, birth control, long term birth control, pap smears and all that. They also do trans care for that community. So if you wow. think about rural trans folks who don't have a place to go, you know, when you talk about Title X funding going, it's also the independent clinics that close and the clinics that are providing care for everybody um, that goes to. So, yeah, in Charleston, West Virginia, the only clinic left in West Virginia is in Charleston. That's an independent clinic. And, you know, in Arkansas. Yeah, I just read about Arkansas. Today. You know, they just stopped having medication abortion in Arkansas. So now Arkansas went from three clinics to one in one day. Oh, my God. The Supreme Court wouldn't hear the case that said this is wholly unconstitutional. So now they have to go relitigate that. But until and if that gets overturned, the original law uh, still stands, which means that there is one clinic in Little Rock for all of the patients in Arkansas. And it's pretty, it's pretty terrifying. But in the meantime, the Vagical Mystery Tour is going to be fighting the good fight yes. all summer long. And you're bringing some, some of my very favorite comedians with you. Um, Michelle Buteau is going to be there. Oh, I love her. Jackie Cation. I just was like ooing and aahing over her set on Two Dope Queens. I thought she was so funny. Um, Maysoon Zaid and Naomi Ekparrigan, who is so funny. I once cried laughing just while walking down the street because I was listening to yeah, her. Yeah, Jeannie Asheray. <laughs> oh my God. Greg so... Proops is the, I think, the token dude. But... <laughs> Wasn't he the token dude last year? We ha well, he was the token cis dude. We had Ian Harvey on tour with us mm. last year, who was an incredible trans man um, stand up who is unbelievable. And then Alex English was also out with us, who is a queer black guy who's like so funny. Yeah. So what's it been like rounding up comedians to do feminist activist work compared to last year? Are people burnt out? Are they like as fired up as ever? Are they exhausted in general? Like, what's it like for comedians who are fighting the good fight? You know, I think I think all of the above. Right. And I think the thing that I realized in in creating this organization where I could I could set up an infrastructure for comics who really give a shit but are also super busy with their lives and their careers to be able to set up a space where they could pop in and pop out. Uh -huh. And so it's hard to have to organize the thing. Yeah. So if a trusted person is organizing the yeah. thing, they're like, thank you. I will carve out time. I can drop myself into the thing. And then, you know, so to make it easy for creative people, I think is something that sort of didn't exist really before. And so it's nice to, now that this is the second year in, everybody's told everybody else. And so they're like, oh, it was great. I'm, I did it last year. It's really fun. I want to do it again, make sure. And also it gives them a chance to meet the clinic people, do some advocacy, 
take a breath and also know what you're what you're advocating for you know mm-hmm. when you have that personal connection with a clinic that you're in a town all of a sudden you you have another story to tell that's personal to add to your already existing um belief system and those personal stories are really what um make change a lot of times and you guys are touring from June 12th to August 2nd. June 12th to August 2nd. And then the Minneapolis show is this kooky other show. So I'm from Minneapolis. And so um, it's a little bit different in format than the traditional. We have some stand-ups and some music. What we're doing in Minneapolis is some of my favorite um, women live in Minneapolis who are singers. And so um, Lori Barbero from Babes in Toyland and Janie Winterbauer, awesome. and um, we have like nine women, Tina Shlieski, Jill Sobiel's flying in for it. Nice. Um, and women are singing the most sexist songs ever written. <laughs> um, I love this. With some comedy in between. Uh-huh. And because I feel like as we talk, you know, you guys, pop culture is what defines so much stuff and how women have been defined in popular culture in a sneaky-ass fucking shitty way, but Uh you can, like, hum it and sing to it, and you don't even realize how awful it is to sort of lay out a lot of these songs that we love, Uh and you're like, oh, my God. I'd like to make a suggestion. Yes. My personal karaoke jam is, in my opinion, the most sexist song ever written, which is I've Been to Paradise, but I've Never never Been been to to Me by Charlene. I beg of you to have someone sing it because it has a dramatic monologue right in the center about how she's lived this exciting life, but it means nothing because she never had a baby. Hey, you know what paradise is? It's a lie. A fantasy we create about people and places as we'd like them to be. But you know what truth is? It's that little baby you're holding, and it's that man you fought with this morning, the same one you're going to make love with tonight. That's true. That's love. You know what? I am going to make sure that goes in the hopper because people have chosen some really good songs, and uh, it's just going to be every. And then there'll be a really good, like, feel good going out song that everybody does at the end. But it's like. It's such a great idea. Well, it was so fun because it was like I had all these women who were musicians in the Twin Cities. And I was like, how can I harness all my friends together? It's also just a cheap way to just hang out with people that are fun. So (laughs) how can I harness all that? And so we're doing this nutty thing. So it's like comedy music. And then Minneapolis is this huge, massive music thing. And yeah, it's going to be fun. Where do people get tickets? You can go to VagicalMysteryTour.com. Check the cities and get tickets there. So that's the best place. And then you can read all about the tour. You can see some video from last year. Check out all the lineups. Yeah. <laughs> Do you encounter a lot of those fake clinics that? Yes. Ah. So, many. so in fact, not only do we encounter the fake, for, for your listeners who don't know, um, there is a ever-present situation that's been going on for years in the United States, actually since the late 1970s, where uh, anti-abortion extremists, um, they started being out being heavily funded by Catholic Church and Knights of Columbus, um, have opened up what looks like a health center that would provide like a range of health care, but they don't. They're set up solely to lure vulnerable pregnant people in to to talk them out of having an abortion. So like if you've ever been on a bus or seen a billboard that's like free pregnancy test choices, visit us, that is 
100% a place that is luring you in and their websites are deceptive. And so we actually, through our work at Lady Parts Justice League, one of the things we've done is work in concert with a whole bunch of different organizations and created a website called Exposed Fake Clinics. Ah, excellent. That's so, exactly where I hope you were yeah, going. Because so, it's so hard to tell. It's and they'll so have hard fake to tell. good reviews. <clears throat> yes. So we have a whole Yelp. system of how you can have activism at home on your laptop or you can get together with your friends and go stand outside and do like some fake sidewalk counseling like they do for the women who are going into Planned Parenthood and other clinics. Um, but it's really, it's a cool website that like explains to you all about the fake clinics, where they are. There's a drop down menu. You can click on your state and you can go and do the Google reviews and then you can review. This is what we're asking people to do. Don't write a lie review or a negative review. Go to their website, see how long it takes you to um, that it's revealed that they don't provide abortion. See if there's lies about like abortion causes breast cancer. And then simply just write a review that says, if you're looking for abortion, this is not the place to do it. Because at least what we can do is when somebody Googles right. I'm looking to have an abortion, um, a review will come up that says this place doesn't provide it. And that way someone doesn't have to go through an emotional experience of being shamed for being a sexual person, being shamed for asking about abortion. And often they don't have uh, anybody that can even do the procedure there if you even wanted it, right? Well, they, they wouldn't, they, just, they like, don't even mention it. No, it's not even run by, they, it's not even run by doctors. There's literally people dressed up in lab coats God, that's and it's nuts. totally legal to say you are a clinic and not, if you don't provide healthcare, but it sounds like you do, right? So if you have a website and it's like, it says things like medical grade pregnancy tests. Well, the dollar store pregnancy tests are also medical grade pregnancy tests. <laughs> you know, ultrasounds. Turns out anybody can do an ultrasound. They might not do it right. It wouldn't be like <laughs> admissible so anywhere. But, you know, STD testing, counseling, it all sounds very official. And good people don't want to assume that someone's opening up a fake clinic right. to fool them. So you're not going to listen for the warning signs or see stuff until you're like long into it. So it's very terrifying. Heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. So exposedfakeclinics.com. Go there, start writing reviews. And if you feel like I'm uncomfortable writing, you can just upvote on all the reviews that expose them as well. So mm-hmm. you can just spend the afternoon binge watching something, poking upvote, 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 and having a great time. And having a great time. And making change. <laughs> and making yeah. change. I'm going to probably do that sometime over the weekend. Well, yes. no, I'm packing. But I'll find a time. I'll be doing that. If there's one thing away. we yeah. want, it's not right? going away, sadly. It's ways to make a difference from the couch. Oh, if I can <laughs> help people do that, I feel like I'm winning. Slacktivism at its finest. Mm-hmm. We're going to segue into comedians versus Trump. But before we do that, there's only one notable comedian really right now that's for Trump. Uh, Her name is Roseanne Barr, and oh, she I'm is, sorry, she's dead to me. Oh, well, then her name was <laughs> Roseanne name Barr, but stricken from the record. I, you know, like this is a sad time for us at Bust because we really stand for Roseanne for a long time. Mm-hmm. She, um, we loved her show. She was a columnist, an advice columnist for Bust pre Twitter. And then as a result of her Twitter antics, we parted ways with her. Not today, just in general. I think like five or six years ago, years ago. Um, Once she uh, really started getting very polarizing on Twitter, we parted ways with Roseanne. Um, But we spent many years, you know, really admiring her feminism. And so it's tough. It's and today um, she was all over the news cycle 
uh, because uh, she tweeted some racist shit and Roseanne got canceled. Um, I want to know your take. And uh, do you think that Ambien made her racist? <laughs> Nobody believes that. Well, I first of all, I have to say that um, I would like to know what the sleeping drugs is that makes you racist and then gets you fired from being president. <laughs> so, for, <laughs> so I have a very long sorted history with Roseanne. I write a lot about it in my book. So I, when I was coming up as a stand-up comic in Minneapolis, Roseanne was living in Denver and she would come to work in Minneapolis four times a year. And she always insisted that I or another woman opened for her. Amazing. She was an incredibly supportive feminist. Like she was my friend for a long time and she was shared my outrage. She was really open on many levels, you know, open about, you know, a lot of stuff and was always supportive of women. And so as I watched Roseanne, I don't know where the information started happening and where the turn started happening, but she had said some really shitty things to me on Twitter, just about my feminism and about things that I was like, why are you like, we were really good friends. Like, I don't understand. Um, and she just, the evolution of Roseanne or the devolution of Roseanne's, um, philosophies is heartbreaking to me too yeah. because yeah. I can say for sure without question the Roseanne that I met and who helped me out starting in the late 1980s was not a racist at all and her show was groundbreaking and I loved her show and I feel like I don't know what happened I don't know where she's at but like get help because it's ugly mm -hmm. and it's inexcusable and you know I'm wrestling with um Honestly, I'm wrestling with people who went and signed on to do this show anyway. And like, we're all applauding ABC for canceling it, which yes, absolutely. But I don't know. I kind of feel like I have turned down shows that and, and gigs that would have made me a shit ton of money because I didn't like the underpinnings of what was going on behind it. And at some point you have to say to yourself, is me making a whole lot of money? How do I justify my role in perpetuating white supremacy? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, yeah, I, I just, I can't, too. I can't not say that. I mean, I just, for me, it's like, and people can get mad at me. And like, I read what Sarah Gilbert wrote and it was just weird. And I just feel like you all took a job working for somebody who you didn't care that they were transphobic and really brutal towards trans women. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, you didn't care about the Islamophobia before this. You didn't care that she also called Susan Rice an ape many years ago. Like her Twitter feed and who she has been since my guests went bust parted ways and when all that started mm -hmm. happening uh -huh. was very real and very public. And yeah. so all of that was somehow overlooked. And this all of a sudden my economic insecurity Trump voter person um, needed a show and even the even when they rebooted the show it was sort of a lot of cockamamie things about it that didn't make like it didn't add up first of all they had the same couch yeah like get a new couch you had a you, this has been <laughs> since the 90s like yeah i'm sorry what and they didn't address like 9 11 happened between when roseanne was off and now um like monumental things happened between the roseanne that went off the air 
and this Roseanne now. I guess they addressed it by Roseanne being scared of her Muslim neighbors. I mean, I mean like, right. Yeah, I mean, I and that's the whole thing. It's like, oh, you have a genderqueer kid and you're fine with that? Like, what? Like that. And so I'm trying to figure out there didn't seem to be much complexity behind this person that they were trying to say, this isn't the racist Trump voter. This is the economically insecure Trump voter. And it's like, yeah. no, it's not. Roseanne comes from this place of abject racism. And so then we're going to build a show around it and act like it's not. I, I don't understand. Like, I didn't understand any of it. How could you have voted for him, Roseanne? He talked about jobs, Jackie. He said he'd shake things up. I mean, this might come as a complete shock to you, but we almost lost our house the way things are going. Have you looked at the news? Because now things are worse. Lori Metcalf, I want to hear what she has to say because that character was definitely, like, kept true to me, like, what the what Jackie was like back in the day. She's still very liberal. She's And then going back and forth with Roseanne, I think, was supposed to make it balanced. But this fellow's felt clownish. Like, she has a pussy hat on and a hitler right. thing. Right. It was so over the... Yeah. Oh, so in your face. And yeah, and for a lot of us, caricatured. Even, yeah, and for a lot of us, even the election was complicated. You know, we had for people from the left, um, Hillary was a flawed candidate, but um, you know, but it was like between these two, yes, I'll vote for Hillary. You know, that was one camp. One camp was like, I hate Hillary at all costs. I'm from the left, so I'm gonna vote for Jill Stein. Which okay, so you hate two people so you're going to vote for a worse person okay that, you know, <laughs> god bless american democracy but um you know but it was like it was just a cartoon it just felt like all of it it felt super inauthentic and the first roseanne was so authentic exactly yeah. and i loved the first roseanne so much that you know like even though bust had parted ways with roseanne as a columnist when the they talked when the reboot was announced, I was excited. I wrote like, we have this little section in the magazine. that's just like a pop culture quiz called pop quiz that I write. And I wrote a pop quiz about Roseanne because I was so optimistic about the show. And I kind of almost had like this fantasy that like we'd be getting the old Roseanne back somehow. And so I've gotten blowback just from the fact that like we had an issue out where I said nice things about Roseanne in it and and they were like there's a lot more pe you know our the feedback i got is there's a lot of women in pop culture who are worth more celebrating more than roseanne but i was just excited about the show and i you know like i have to eat that that I, it was an error in judgment to write a a positively slanted pop culture quiz about her i mean at that e point even she... though like i knew what she had become but i had like this fairy tale idea in my mind that it was because roseanne was coming back that roseanne was coming back. right yeah it's hard i mean it, feels, it hurts my heart it hurts my heart too but i also like sometimes like you just gotta cut some things off exactly and, um there are way too many women and especially women of color who are doing such great work. And you look at Issa Rae and you look at, you know, I love Natasha Rothwell and I love Blackish. And I just feel like so many shows are reflecting um, a family experience. Yeah. Yeah. That is, has depth and is incredible and is thoughtful and is complicated. And I think that like watching watching those shows and reminding ourselves that there's people doing really good, smart work that's mm -hmm. 
funny and engaging and real that like let's celebrate that yes oh roseanne so on the other ideological end of the spectrum the last time you were here last year it was like right on the heels of kathy griffin losing her cnn deal and everybody saying she would never work again because she posed with a bloody trump head right and like people were like literally your career is over like you should crawl into a cave and die and like she i think she crawled into a cave for a hot second but then she just took off for europe and then like came back triumphant and sold out carnegie hall twice i think it was and so obviously the whole public shaming machine doesn't really have a long shelf life. So like, is this whole like, these women are politically like persona non grata and these comedians can't work anymore. Like, is that just a farce? Is there, are there things that women can and can't do in comedy where it really means that their career is over? Do we want careers to be over? Do we care? What what Kathy Griffin did is mock a president and yeah it was in a little harsher way than most people do but i don't think that's something that's as jarring as blatant racism and blatant transphobia like those things are that is a a huge personal fault and says a lot about how you value other people a joke on trump is not belittling a whole group of people it's belittling one person for something i mean i think that's right and i also i was i was just also surprised that she apologized for it i remember thinking you know what you did that you you should just stay there with that and say i know i'm gonna get fired from cnn i know i'm gonna but right now i have pure unbridled rage about this person and i feel like letting my fan base know i'm drawing a line in the sand yeah. And you're either with me or you're not. Yeah. And, and clearly and people yeah. are still with her. And I'm and it's and, and it's like not she's advocating for the decapitation of the president. Right. She was just like showing her feelings about it. And like that's like art. I mean, there's people who put Jesus in a glass of pee. You know, like that's like um there's just provocative things. And if you're gonna be provocative that comes with a whole lot of blowback and it yeah. also comes with a whole lot of like what's the opportunity what i always ask is in your in your messaging and if you're going to do like an action is the action going to be talked about more than is it opening a conversation that's larger about why right. about the topic so the flaw to me at the end of the day was more people talked about kathy griffin action than they did why Kathy Griffin did it. And you always want to figure out, I'm doing this because I want to raise awareness about the issue. Right. And did I raise awareness about myself or did I raise awareness about the issue? Which, you know, brings up the point, like Kathy Griffin was like mad as hell and she wasn't going to take it anymore. With Roseanne, it was Ambien. I love Ambien's response to that. I know. I call it Scambian. (laughs) that's what she's taking it is the sleeping aid that turns you racist while you're out when my boyfriend was on ambien he put popsicles in my purse but he never uh accused me of being in the muslim brotherhood wow (laughs) that sounds racist (laughs) i would just really do a deep dive and figure out how to make putting popsicles in your purse racist what color were the popsicles yeah the popsicles were green pepe the frog Oh, oh, clearly, clearly. So another comic 
who's been accused of crossing the line more recently is Michelle Wolf at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And Liz, you just interviewed Michelle Wolf for Bust Magazine. It's going to be in the August-September issue. I can't wait to I read the interview. I was so excited. It was great. You know, we talked a lot about, we talked a little bit about that because I had some, I had some pressing questions um, that I feel like people didn't ask her about that night, which I think is going to be really fun for your readers to read. Uh-huh. Um, and I talked a lot about her. You know, we don't hear a lot about Michelle Wolf as like, you know, she's a long distance runner. She is somebody. She's an just, ultra marathoner, she's an right? ultra marathoner. And so talking about like, first of all, a disciplined comedian is like an ox. It's like a unicorn. <laughs> and so to talk to her about that and her kooky ass way that she got to comedy through, you know, she was like a studied kinesiology and then worked at Bear Stearns and then became a comic. And it's like, as you do, Uh, (laughs) and you know, took that path and just talked to her a lot about her feminism and her her priorities and like, what are her like issues? And then her show, which is really funny. And so it was a really fun, it was a fun, fun day and a really fun interview. And I just, I wrote a piece for Elle magazine right after the, um, after the whole, White House Correspondents' Dinner thing, which was basically a big fuck you to the press. I mean, and, and to Sarah Huckabee <laughs> Sanders and to every other person uh-huh. who decided that the garbage fire that was created for Michelle Wolf to access material from was Michelle Wolf's fault. She was, you know, there was a world with which Michelle Wolf had to address. Yes. That world was not created by Michelle Wolf. That was exactly. created by this administration and a press who tongue darted pre- Donald Trump the entire way that he's done everything. So they're all fair game. They've always been fair game. Yeah, completely. And the fact that the public was co-signing so hard on Michelle Wolf freaked them out so hard that they had to double down on their bullshit. And they hired her knowing that they were going to get and then said that it was like not the spirit of the event. Yeah, Like the correspondence dinner. You know what's not the spirit of the event? That fucking president. (laughs) I'm sorry. Who wouldn't even go. You have created literally a world where we wake up naked and afraid. And so (laughs) to act like the spirit of the night was violated somehow, talk to every single person who's had their children snatched out of their arms. Talk to every single young, undocumented worker who is a minor who couldn't get their legally entitled abortion from the rape. Talk to every person who has been abused by a cop for existing in the world. Talk to every woman trying to access health care. Fuck you. Yes. Like, I'm sorry. Seriously. Fuck I am you. just going to applaud. <laughs> so I'm getting yeah, faster I mean, and faster. Yeah, yeah I just can't stuff. even listen to Michelle Wolf's fault that she's reacting to the world we live in. Yeah. <laughs> no. What kind of commentary were they nah. expecting? Nah. And lots of people accused her of making fun of Sarah Huckabee Sanders' appearance, which is not the routine that I heard at all. Nor was it the routine she wrote. Right. I mean, I heard like one dig at Mitch McConnell's neck, which is a sort of common refrain among comedians, but I didn't hear any. She complimented her damn eyeliner. 
Uh, she does have a good smoky eye. Who doesn't want a perfect... When, since when is it negative to have a perfect smoky eye? Anybody who attempts a smoky eye in their life... Knows it's hard. If you yeah. nail it, you want to hear about it. Like, yeah. man, that is like some hard shit. You got on YouTube. You did that shit. You bought the stuff. You bought more than... You bought special brushes. Like, you did it. Yeah. But she... She did call her a liar, and she called Kellyanne Conway a liar, and she called them well, that because where's the lie in that? they are liars. <laughs> you know, and I get so mad when I'm constantly having to block liberal men who say fucked up things about women who are morally bankrupt on my Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll be like, oh, I'm with you, and so-and-so looks like a man, and so-and-so looks like this, or like making fat jokes about somebody, and it's like... Now you're blocked. Like, bye. No. Like, I now I have to defend, you know, Ann Coulter or Laura (laughs) Ingram when, like, to dive into the horribleness that is their very oove, you have so much to work with. You're just lazy. Yes. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. It's lazy to poke at an appearance. Yeah. It's much more, takes much more skill to craft a joke about what that eyeliner is made of than yeah. how that eyeliner looks. Well, also, it's, like, interesting, like, when people talk about the C word, like, should you use the C word? Should uh-huh. you not? People have feelings about it. I my, I always say, um, if I'm going to use the C word, I'm going to explain why. Because mm-hmm. just calling someone a cunt is just does nothing. It does. What does that tell me? It tells right. me nothing. But if you say, I think their behavior is cunty because X, Y, and Z, I'm fine with that. I'll defend that. You don't have to agree with me. But I also I'll prefer it. cunty to just cunt. I do too. Yeah. Cunty. I have no problem with either. Yeah. Yeah. Some people do. Sometimes I'm just I'm like a John. cunt. Yeah. Fine, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I respect other people's opinion to not. Yeah. Use and you can say I'm word. being a cunt or I was a cunt when I, and then you like can explain it and people are like, oh, right. There's like a specific mm-hmm. time that cuntiness occurred. But yeah. As a general <laughs> overall thing. But also, I'm not even aff- offended by the word cunt. No, it's no, just no. another word for vagina, and if somebody called me a vagina, I wouldn't have But that's have for us. If a if some dude came at you with the c word, I'd be I, like, okay, cool, bitch. I lo- I don't mind being called a cunt, and then I would be. Like, I would mind. Piss. I would mind if someone called you that. I'm fine with it, and I, I think I feel I'd like, be it's like even is that shadier. all you got? Like, right. there's yeah. so many worse things you I could call like me. I feel like the worst thing to do when somebody tries to insult you is not be phased. Just like the worst thing you can do to someone trying to shake their dick at you on the street is ignore him. Right. Last Nobody time, wants their dick ignored. Last time a dick sugar was at the ATM or the MT, I was not getting my train card. And he's just there with his dick out, shaking his dick. And I'm just getting my train card and I don't care. And I walk away and he was like, really? Nothing? And I was like, you know how many dicks I've already seen today? Yeah. Slow clap. Not yeah, nice. master. Come on, something. Give me something better than just your dick, lazy man. I know. Man. I know. <laughs> Aside from Michelle's new show, The Break. There's also a bunch of other shows hosted by women that I feel exist because of this presidency. There's Robin Feedy's The Rundown on BET. Yes. There's Sarah Silverman's I Love You America on Hulu. Yes. There's Full Frontal with Samantha Bee on TBS. Yes. Are you keeping up with all of these shows that seem to be based on your daily show model? And also, when, when and where is your show? Uh, <laughs> I know where is my show well you know what I have a whole movement so I'm going with I have a movement better than the show I keep up with all of them um, I feel super proud because Alex English who was a young stand up who his first writing gig was at Lady Parts Justice League left 
Lady Parts Justice League and got hired on Robin's show. Oh. So that is like really cool that like coming up through comedy and activism can be a launching pad for like stuff. So that's really great. And Sarah Silverman's my best friend. So I I don't know. Of course, I've watched that. She's a tireless, amazing human being. And I know her better than most. And her heart is as big as Texas. I love the way she combats with people, the haters on Twitter, just outshining with love. She literally wakes up trying to figure out a way to find the goodness in people. Like it's, it's, it's really important to her and to learn and listen. And, you know, she's, she is the real deal, man. I love that bitch. Bitch, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) And I love her show. I I love love that show. show. I found there to just be like, just these surprising little, like sparkly bursts of compassion for people that I wouldn't think that I would feel that for. Yeah. It was, it was very, uh, deftly executed in my opinion i agree it's coming back for a second season i'm excited in the april may issue of bust our editor-in-chief debbie stoller she wrote that part of why trump won the election in the first place was because we're so ensconced in our left-wing media bubble watching the daily show and seth meyers and john oliver that the idea of trump winning was a joke that we were just watching on tv every night our lefty comedians weren't talking about how lukewarm people were to hillary about hillary clinton they were just ragging on donald trump all the time and and uh debbie suggested in her letter that we all should watch fox news more just to be aware of what the other side is saying do you think that the comedians of the resistance are doing any harm in this way or like is it up to us to stay woke even though like Funny people agreeing with us is so soothing at the end of a long day. And we just want to like bathe in a funny monologue about how dumb Trump is. What I think is it's not the comedian. The fact that the comedians have been given this weight is because the media has completely failed us. Mm -hmm. So to what I would say is why haven't we held MSNBC and the New York Times and CNN accountable for making and creating and marginalizing Trump. Why the comics should always be laughing at these people and pointing out this garbage. The fact that the comics have become more trusted than the news. So then um, when the comics aren't being the people who are completely changing our minds rather than bringing us that relief of our feelings, um, that's the bigger problem for me. You know, if a comic chooses to try to say more, um, that's the comic's prerogative. The news's prerogative is to, is isn't doesn't have the same standard. You should be giving me the news and the facts, and clapping back and calling back and making sure that I, as a citizen, am smarter, making sure that fake news is actually fake news. And instead, yeah, we should watch Fox too to see how. Things are manipulating, but we shouldn't blame comedy for not changing hearts and minds because comedy's number one job is to entertain. When we come back, I'm going to ask Liz, I'm going to ask Callie, and hopefully you guys are going to ask me, whatcha watching? (laughs) 
I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel, a podcast that finds the drama and what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi. My name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay. I'm a big procrastinator, but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it. And he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but like I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I real quizzically and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down. I'm like, what, what? And I go back on the phone. I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio. And we're back. Woo. Guests first, Liz Winstead. I want to know what you're watching. And when I say what you're watching, I mean... Books, movies, radio, television, podcasts, the bathroom wall, anything <laughs> that you happen to be taking in and consuming pop culturally, we want to know about it. Ah! Okay, so I, two like mini, mini binges. Uh, one was uh, Wild Wild Country. Love it. Ooh. Wild Wild Country on Netflix about the Bhagwan Rajneesh. I highly recommend it. It's a freak show to watch people um, be sucked into this kooky-ass cult in in Oregon and to watch this town be taken over. And there's some parallels between the 1880s and now. And that was really cool. Ma Anand Sheila. Oh, I love and fear her so much. Sheila. Oh my <gasps> God. She is not, I would not cross her. How much did she get done in a day? She got so much done in a day, but all through terror. Yeah. <laughs> there was never a place is implied. It was all just sheer terror. And yeah. The, and just literally like the poisoning. I can't even go into it. Just like it made me rethink <laughs> salad bars. That's all I'm going to say. I will never eat at a salad bar Never again. eating oh a salad bar again. Oh my God, I need again. to finish this. You need I to see started, it. Amazing. I um, and then I love Riverdale. 
I love Riverdale. I love Riverdale. Oh my God, do we all have Riverdale people? Because I feel like I have no one to talk to Riverdale about because I am a 57-year-old woman. This is a safe space. <laughs> who yeah. loves Riverdale more than anything I just started season two because it just popped up on Netflix. Yeah, like, I've really realized I'm kind of a 12-year-old girl. My... My guilty pleasures are about seventh grade. I'm trying to figure out what that's about. Riverdale is hot. Riverdale's super hot. And I also love about Riverdale, like, the the on purpose, like, shitty orange dye job of Archie. Yes. Like, and then the, the way that they have, car, what they have interpreted as cartooning is really funny to me. Like, the Jughead Truman Capote. The Jughead yeah. Truman Capote. The Peter Pan collars uh. that will not end. Um... Just a lot of like the way I think their puns are really funny <laughs> about like, you know, just the way they change names of real products is funny. And then it just when things go from the ridiculous to the sublime, like and it's same with Pretty Little Liars. Like, wait, you guys are just never scared of this weird murderer that's yeah. just always around You're you. Always and it's going like, oh, in it's a, a nightmare, place. but we're going to go out. It's like, no, no one's paralyzed with fear. Yeah, we're going to go Ever. in this creepy doll store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the middle of the night, break yeah. in. We're just going to go break into the creepy doll store. <laughs> or the Black Hood. It's like, oh, okay. This is like, um, okay. <laughs> It's yeah, so and also, are you guys just into season two? Is that where you're I'm just at? Starting yeah, I just two. started season two of Riverdale because it just came on to uh, Netflix. Okay, so when I can't wait till you get to the oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> I know that Jingle Jangle is Jingle Jangle. I can't wait to get to Jingle Jangle. Look out, Jingle Jangle! It's like dangerous. <laughs> just is it worse than ambient? Well, I'm not Will sure. Will it make yes. me racist? Jingle jangle makes you racist. Yeah. I think you just need to know that. So be careful. <laughs> it's going to be like the new la- label on every drug. Yes. <laughs> so that's me. What about you? Oh, I, the most important thing that I have to say is that I met Erica Padu. And she oh, my God. glowing yes. aura. I, I don't even think I'm going to wash my dress so I can How did you get to meet Erica Padu? She's on the cover of the new bus that's out now. Yeah. Just came out today. And Lori went to the photo shoot at her house and they became friends. And then Badu was here to um, introduce this new movie that is amazing. Betty Davis. Um, oh, my God. Betty Davis. Yes. They say, it's called They Say I'm Different about the singer Betty Davis, not the actress. And it is so good. You could tell they don't have a lot of footage because she just disappeared after yeah. for like 30 years. She's vanished. So they only have like some live footage. And they really, she doesn't like to show her face or be on camera. So it's like shots from the back, like a creepy zoom in of her eye. Her style was game so was good. amazing. I mean, Impeccable. that whole, visually, it was amazing. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't know Betty Davis, if you, it's like so funny because it's like, there would be no Macy Gray if there was not Betty Davis. There would Agreed. be a lot, a lot of holes. Zero. I mean, and Betty Davis is somebody who I has had a life. I mean, when you're married to Miles Davis, especially during the Isle of Wight phase, mm-hmm. like that shit just isn't good. <laughs> yeah. But also, also doing it with Jimi Hendrix during his turquoise phase. That has yeah. never been proven, though. And they didn't even talk about that in the movie. I was, but they was no asked her, the movie, really. is this song... He was a big freak about Jimi Hendrix, and she said, "Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but he sure wore a lot of turquoise." That wasn't that in the Bus Magazine article interview with her. It was. 
which I was really bummed they didn't um, source that interview at all or even know that we put it out there. And in that song, she's like, he was a big freak. freak. Yep. <laughs> and it's so solid. So anyway, highlight of my forever is going to be meeting Erica Badu. Then I've also got stuck in this whole Cobra Kai. Have you heard of Cobra Kai? Cobra Kai. No. It's a follow-up on Karate Kid. It happens 34 years later than the original Karate Kid 1 tournament. Sweep the leg, Johnny, because he lost that tournament. His life is shit. He's a shit human being, and he everything is shit. And meanwhile, um, Daniel is a successful car. Uh, car but Ralph salesman. Macchio was like legit in this. Right? Yeah, it's all the original actors and actresses that they brought back. Where have I been? It's, it's on, on YouTube. It's Red. on YouTube Red, so it's hard to get. But my friend gave me his account, so I could get in. It's really good. I already renewed for season two, and it just came out like two weeks ago. Oh it's God. so good. Okay, I can't. I don't even know where I've been. I feel like a total loser. <laughs> I feel like it hasn't gotten too many rumbles and rumbles on the internet because not that many people have YouTube read yet. But I feel like because everyone's ta- talking about what's it called again? Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai, which was the name of the original dojo for the bad guys. For the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have known about it if my old roommate Vince didn't send me one million snake texts and going Cobra Kai. <laughs> 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 sweep the leg, sweep the leg, sweep the leg. So he came over and we binged. And Thanks. then I'm going to blow your mind with some creepy ass, crazy shit. Have, do you guys follow Little Tay? No. Yeah. Little Tay is the self-proclaimed youngest flexer on the internet at nine. Flexer oh. like what? Like, like she's, muscles? She's always stacking cash and she says, Little Tay just got verified. Y'all all said I wouldn't make it. But bitch, look, I'm verified now. Little Tay, the youngest flexer of the century. She's, she uses the N-word. She's Asian, which I don't think is okay. And, and then she's, she's nine? She's nine years old. And she'll be like, there was a part where she's practicing a video. So they think her brother's coaching her. He's 16. And she, she's like, you a broke ass bitch. You are out here with your irrelevant ass. You making a video on me, bitch. I'm more relevant than you. And that's pretty much like what she does in all the videos. Is- that sounds like back in the 90s when Maury Povich would bring out yes. out of control 14 year olds in tube tops being like, whatever, whatever. I have sex all day. Coincidentally, whatever. she got into a, uh, there's a camera video of her she's getting nine? in a, She's nine. Okay. She got in a fight with um, Catch Me Outside Girl. Oh, come on. Yeah, the whole thing is a mess. And so the, her mom and her brother were on, um, and Little Tay, were on an interview for Good Morning America. And I feel like they really did not do justice for being like, why is your nine-year-old talking like this on the internet? She can't, she's not even old enough to have an Instagram account or a Twitter account. Like, she's not going to be able to get a Jorb when she's 18. That is not her car that she's lying about. Her mom lost her car because the internet found out who her mom was and that her mom was a realtor and was using the houses and cars of her boss in Little Tay's videos. Is it child abuse to put your kid on the internet like acting a fool. I, this is where, well, yes, this because is my you're doing concern. it for financial gain. Yes. Like, I'm, nobody, sh- if there was no, financial reward for making your kid look like an asshole yeah um you wouldn't do it so i feel like it's child selling yeah child it's dangerous for the rest of her life those yeah. videos are going to follow her around everywhere she goes yeah it's disgusting watching it spiral has been just i followed it on jezebel and also vice wrote a really good what the fuck is wrong with these parents how is this happening in the public eye and they are allowed to put this shit out there 
Little Tay. So that's what I've been watching. All right. And appalled at and such. And appalled at and such. <laughs> what you've been watching? I'm so glad you asked. Um, as you know, Oprah is a perfect human being. Yes, now that she smokes weed, she's even top of the pops to me. <laughs> and she, did you know that she has a podcast? Smokra? Smokra, yeah. Smokra. I never have I felt more um, seen, more like um, accomplished in my life choices <laughs> than when I realized me and Oprah have a lot in common. That's right. You know how Oprah has Super Soul Sundays? Yes. I just found out recently that she has Super Soul Conversations podcast. Where you can have Oprah so intimately in your ear hole, which is like, it sends chills up my spine to hear her so close to my brain. You love the queen Oh my God, I love her. So I, I listened to her interview with Amy Schumer, and I really got a lot out of it. Like, I loved Inside Amy Schumer so much. I thought that show was so feminist and so funny, and I miss it a lot. L- loved it. I also really, really liked um, Trainwreck. But then, like, there was sort of, like, Amy Schumer backlash after, like, she did that interview with Lena Dunham about the Met Ball and blah, blah, blah. And people were, like, ugh, tired of her. And then, like, I myself had a knee-jerk reaction to her new movie, I Feel Pretty, was I don't feel like watching I Feel Pretty because she's, like, a very lovely blonde lady who, like, everyone thinks is pretty. So, like, I don't want her prancing around being, like... Like, I'm not conventionally pretty, but I hit my head, and so I'm going to act like I am. Like, I I felt like that premise would have been better maybe if it had been someone. I've seen this before, and it was called um, Drop Dead Diva, and it was better than. Like, I just didn't want to see her doing that. But, like, I got such, I, I feel like I got schooled a little bit listening to Oprah who actually saw it with Gail, Oprah said she felt empowered by it. If you're empowering Oprah, then I need to get my shit together and actually watch the movie and not just just the trailer, not just talking smack about the trailer because I'm like, oh, that skinny Amy Schumer, like she doesn't know about being rejected by society. Like I need to actually watch the film instead of just judging it. But there was also just a lot of substantive shit in this Oprah interview with Amy Schumer. You know how Amy Schumer like had this sort of uh, routine going on in her comedy for a while where she talked about the gray area rape that she called great. Great, yep. And um, Oprah really like went there with Amy Schumer and was like, you lost your virginity while you were asleep. And like the fact that you were dating the person who did that with you, like that's still rape. Like, do you still consider it grape or can you say that it's rape? And she like told Oprah that it was rape and they, they like went there. They went the extra mile. Oprah was talking about how, like when she first had women talking about marital rape on the Oprah show, people stood up and said, it's a, Oh, there is no such thing as marital rape. Like, like marriage is consent for sex forever. And Oprah was explaining that it wasn't. And Oprah even like. Who woke up Oprah to that? That's an interesting question. But some, I mean. I'd love to know who, who Oprah listened to. Probably Gail. She was doubling down on her show for a while saying marital rape versus rape. I, you know, nobody did a follow up question for Oprah because she's the interviewer, (laughs) not the interviewee. But this podcast went deep you guys and it really cemented both amy schumer and oprah as like big league feminists in my mind and i was 
there for it and you shouldn't miss it. All right. I'm, I'm listening it. to it. Um, so <laughs> um, that Jim Jarmish movie from 2016 Patterson, um, it just showed up on Amazon Prime. So I checked it out over the weekend. And this is like, you know, those French art films where nothing happens and they're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's like that. But it, ha- it takes place in Patterson, New Jersey with wow. Adam Driver. And he's like this poet. And he drives a bus in Patterson and like jots down his poems and you just sort of follow him around while he does it. The only, and it's so hard because, you know, I don't want to be a knee jerk feminist about it, but Hey, what you going to do? He has a manic pixie dream girl partner and she doesn't have a job. Like he has a job and he goes out and he drives the bus all day and she's either, painting the walls with little circles or baking cupcakes or playing the guitar or, you know, she's very creative and very beautiful and just runs center herself. Does she run free? She runs wild and free and she's, and she's the light of his life and like can barely do anything constructive or productive outside of her own creative. They're an adorable couple, but I'm like, could like, you add like just a, a smidge more dimension. Like I know Jim Jarmusch can do it. He wrote only lovers left alive. That amazing vampire movie that oh, had like this one. Oh, it's so good. Went and down by law. Yeah. And so he wrote great movies with real dimension. So I know that he could have like avoided the manic pixie dream girl trope if he wanted to, but he chose not to. And yet it was very meditative and beautiful and nothing happened. And in this crazy world in which my phone is going off with news alerts every five seconds, I found that very soothing. Another movie where nothing happens, but I actually thought it was kind of feministy that nothing happens, was I watched that movie Ibiza, Ibiza. which is on Netflix. I don't know this movie. And this movie is a, a female friendship film starring Gillian Jacobs, Vanessa Bear and Phoebe Robinson. Okay. All three of them. Love them. Love them. Like, I feel pleasure chemicals drip, drip, dripping down my brain watching them. Yeah, they're them. all good. So, like, I'm just going to sit there and watch them. So the premise of this is that Gillian Jacobs' character gets sent on her first intercontinental business trip to Spain, and her two friends are like, we're going to go with you. So they go to Spain. That sounds fun as fuck. They go to Spain. They party. They dance. They drink. They have sex. They take drugs. So Sounds like a vacation I'm on normally. In Ibiza. Ibiza. In Ibiza. Well, they start out, they start out somewhere else in Spain. In Barcelona? Probably. In, I think in Barcelona. <laughs> and then they go to Ibiza. Um, and usually, like, I was sort of, like, cringing, flinching, waiting for one of them to get violated or assaulted. Because when women are out and about having fun, drinking dancing, doing drugs, having sex with strangers. Like they have to be punished in most films. Guess what? They don't get punished. Ah, They they go to Spain, they have fun times, and then they go home. And that's the movie. Ah, Now, like, I understand it might be a little lacking in the fun department, but I feel like in the feminist department, it gets a gold star because women are allowed to 
travel and have fun. Yes. Oh, that sounds fun. So that's <laughs> relaxing, right? And they're both, they're all so, so delightful. Something about not being raped always sounds funner. <laughs> but especially if they're doing things where like society tells you, oh, you're going to go to Spain and take drugs. You're def- you're like one way ticket to rapesville. It didn't happen. Like they had a good time and they had each other's backs. Love it. And that, my friends, it is what I have been watching. That's nice. amazing. This Thank you guys so one. much. This has been an episode for the ages. What a fun podcast you guys have. I love so much coming here. Thank I you love for inviting you. me. Uh, this is great. You are such an inspiration. I love every single thing that you do. You are what I want to be when I grow up. Oh, my God. And the hair. And do the it. hair. Uh, hair goals. Silvas. Liz Winsett is sitting here in here with silver hair, and it makes me want to go silver, silver too. Silver foxy. Yeah. I'm, I went silver fox. I literally brought a picture of Emmy Lou Harris to my person. <laughs> oh my and god! I said, yes. Make my hair look like this, and they did. Perfecto. I love it. Yeah. So much thanks to our producer Rachel Withers, the greatest producer of <laughs> Of course, our pal at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey. Thank you so much for letting us crash in your swank pad. And, of course, our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You can't find Callie on Twitter because she's Secrets. hiding. She has a secret Twitter handle, and she won't even tell me, which is rude. I only follow Chrissy Teigen. She only follows Chrissy Teigen. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but you can email us both. You can email me at emilyrems at bust.com. Callie W at bust.com. And to find out more about this podcast, visit us at bust.com slash pop tarts and finally please rate and review this podcast on itunes it really helps us get the word out and we super duper appreciate it until next time Mm -hmm.